You're listening to a special version of the Inside Myanmar podcast, covering the military coup and the ensuing protest movement that has developed. During this crisis, we're ramping up the production of not only podcast episodes, but also our blog and other social media platforms. So we invite you to check these out as well. All the other projects that had been in progress prior to February have since been paused indefinitely to focus entirely on this emergency. But for now, let's get into our show. Plundered by Anna Akhmatova. Everything is plundered, betrayed, sold. Death's great black wing scrapes the air, misery gnaws to the bone. Why then do we not despair? By day, from the surrounding woods, cherries blow summer into town. At night, the deep transparent skies glitter with new galaxies, and the miraculous comes so close to the ruined dirty houses. Something not known to anyone at all, but wild in our breast for centuries. Along Bababi by Anna Akhmatova. Translation by Gokota. Along Bababi, Along Bababi. This is Pao Gongbi, Yang Sa Lo Gongbi. They may have done by Naji Lego Gope, Tokaka Yoti on Lysa, Duima Pepe Nibamla. နေဖတ်မှာမြို့အနီးတော်ဟိုတဲ့ကချဲရီတွေနွေးကိုလေးနဲ့သယ်ဆောင်လာကြညမှာတော့နှစ်ရှိုင်းကြည်လင်းတ
So on February 28, me and my other engineering students, three of my fellow friends, we were, we were planning to go uh, protest. I was like, I, I got it at like 6 a.m. because we have to arrive the place around at 8 a.m. Uh, it was it was an engineering pro, uh, protest, like a big group of engineers. We got out on protest, and on that day, um, uh, for your informa for your information, before twenty eight, before February twenty eight, there was not uh, deceased people in Yangon. Uh, protests are going strong, were going strong, and we were quite comfortable. Not like. Comfortable is a like weird word to use, but I mean it. It was like going out protest since February one. That was kind of normal to me. So me and my other two friends, we met, and it was quite usual day. We were having breakfast, and then and then we met. Um, I'm sorry if I sound nervous because <laughs> that was not a good memory to think about. So uh, we were talking and it was around 8.30 a.m. We'd start hearing the loud noises. Uh, to be fair, I didn't expect anything like gang, fire or things like that because it is in the middle of the Yangon, right? I, I really didn't, I, I prepared for that, but I didn't, expect that to be happening to me. Uh, police police and other military soldiers, you know, they're trying to disperse the crowd without, we are not even, we were not even like starting our protest. We were just uh, grouping and like preparing because our protest gonna start at around uh, 9 a.m. So it was just like 8.30 a.m. I was so shocked and I, I couldn't process what was happening to me. My friend uh, held my hand and we started to run. I was like, no, what, what's happening? I, I even told him that this, this, uh, this can't be real, you know, because I, I really didn't thought that they, they're going to shoot us. <laughs> but they really shot us. And it was like a lot of... Uh, that was such a big group, and can you can you imagine that on eight thirty a.m. early morning everything was peaceful, and then loud noise came, and you start to run. You don't even know what is going to happen next. And plus, unfortunately, I have heart disease, so I can run fast. And I was thinking about what if I got caught? What if I I was taken to the cell? My mother would be very sad, and she she would not like she would not like that situation. That was what I I kept thinking when I am running. But it was really chaotic. I really don't want to think about it. I can't describe that feeling. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Like it's like situation are like upside down, really upside down. You know, we were laughing and we're like, oh, okay, today is going to be a long day because uh, it's 28 and we're going to walk, like, walk protest, walking 
around the town. So we're talking about that. And then the, the next meaning, you know, that you, you found yourself running on the streets. Like, it, it even feel like that you are being preyed. You are, a, you like someone is hunting you down. And then, yeah, how we got escaped is that we ran away. Uh, we kept running and then uh, we entered to the, like, the street and the uh, the apartment there, they opened their doors because they had the gun noise and they don't want the students to get arrested. So, and um, that's the people like, uh, yeah, the people there opened their doors and they let us into their house. So me and my other two friends, um, we, we hid in the, in that house. And I remember that I, I almost cry. But I didn't shed a tear because that was too intense for me. And I really cannot believe that. I, I even feel like oh, this is a nightmare. <laughs> you know, this can be real. I still cannot believe that. And I, how stupid I was with that. I even think that, oh, okay, this is, this is just um, like tear gas, not, not with real bullets. <laughs> but on that day... Um, 18, 18 deaths reported on that day on 28 and yeah about me and my friends you know we kept hidden in that in that house and thanks to uh, thanks to those auntie you know who, who hit it because uh, there were a lot of other protesters with us and even the police chased down chased us down to that street and they kept um, yelling and saying, like, come out if you are brave or things like that. And around, like, um, more than 100 engineers and doctors were arrested uh, on that day. That was such a shocking memory. And I I almost got abducted that day. <laughs> and, yeah, what is funny is that I, I can't run that much. Uh, yeah, as I said before, I have heart disease, so, and I realized that this is a real day, you know, they are going to do, that. that is the moment I realized that the military or the hunter, whatever you call them, they're going to do everything, and they are not human, that's what I thought at that time. I didn't have like I didn't have any hope in them. Like in like in the early days, I was like, "Oh, the soldiers and the policemen were gonna join us with in CDM movements or things like that." I I thought they are they were gonna stand with us, like stand with people, but no, <laughs> they are just the steps of that Honda leadership. They are doing their jobs. So yeah. That was quite uh, horrible to me, and I. Um, so I we we hid in that house for like around two hours, and when they uh, they left us and they they abducted like uh, one hundred or two hundred students and then they they just left us, so we sneak out and we got back to our house, and yes that. That wasn't a great story to tell back, but because uh, this is such a 
horrible memory to me, and I don't want I, I don't want to think about it. But uh, at at the same time, you know, it just make me more determined about winning this revolution because I we we can't let them control us. They are gonna do everything everything they can to rule us. So, and it is our job to do everything we can to not let them ruin us. So yeah, that's what happened to me on February 28th. I can imagine that it's difficult and traumatic to relive a memory of real fear and terror and to go through that mentally, also emotionally can bring up those uh, sensations and memories and feelings of being there. So I know that's not an easy thing to do. So thank you for taking the time and courage to be able to go back and revisit a very scary experience in the efforts of trying to bring this reality to our listeners who are trying to understand what's happening and what things feel like. And as I was hearing your story, one of the things that came in my mind was just this generation that you're a part of, that you grew up for the past 10 years or so, or almost 10 years of a country that was reforming year by year and becoming more normal and conventional like other countries. And so the things that you're describing, the terrors of the military state and the soldiers and the lack of conscience and the um, ways they conduct themselves, these are things that were very much a reality of Myanmar before 10 years ago and many, many years before that. But you have grown up in a society where these are just memories and stories and you've never, I would imagine, never have experienced anything like this directly or have friends who had. This was the first time in your life that these stories somewhat became true. Uh, was that anything that you were reflecting on at the time or after it happened? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, you know, we, we grew up in a normal state. <laughs> I I was like I was thinking it is in the middle of the town you know in Yangon in 2021, right? So I I never imagined myself running like ch- being chased down by police. Um, to be honest, like police are not even my thing. Like I I can um I can imagine myself as a criminal. I was treated as a criminal that day. Can you? Can you believe that? I I can't I can't imagine that, and that um yeah, military was doing that to um admit you know like not in Yangon they have bad history of course, but there was just history to us like to me and my friends like about the eighty eight things our our parents kept talking to us about that. Uh, that 1988 thing, right? But it was just a story. It was just a history to us. And after like uh, living in democrats, uh, like it, it was not a real democracy, but it was a part of a democracy. And I couldn't. It it was very difficult for me to realize that we are facing with we are really facing with that. Those military, right? Um, I mean, they are terrorists. We have to take take that terror 
even if we don't want to accept it or not. It, it is happening. Like, if you have experiences before or not, whatever, you're just gonna doing it. And I, it is a hard truth to accept. Yeah. So what was it like to have a direct experience with something in your country that you had grown up all your life, I assume, hearing these stories, but never actually experiencing directly? And now here you have this direct experience of something that your family has been talking about through their lives for many years, but has never been real to you before this point. What what was that like to have that direct experience? Okay, yeah. Uh, um you know, I I am a very simple person, and <laughs> I mean, by simple, I mean that I I was born as a human, so I always think that human must have human rights. That's it. I like I am very like I don't trust I don't trust the military, but I thought that that's not gonna happen to us. To to be honest, right? And that I was. And seeing my human rights went away by those inhumane terrorists, it's not a good thing. I can't find the proper word to say. And what about about the coup? It is happened in the pandemic, right? In pandemic, our school uh, has to stop. Our our schools like I'm not graduated yet because our stu our, our university. Hoarded because of pandemic, and um, I remember my aunt told me that hmm, one year hard is nothing, baby. In our time, we we like we have to attend university for so long because of nineteen eighty eight things revolutions. I'm like, yeah, that's what that was your age, not as we like one year is such a like it's it's not a good thing to us you know i am 23 right now and i am a jobless that that's not a good thing andy don't compare us to your ages i remember i i talked that too hard and now that it actually happened to me it's it's like repeating itself unbelievable right <laughs> and i just i just feel like that okay that's it I get it, and we are facing it, so it's time to fight back. But it is unfair. <laughs> I still cannot believe that I have to fight this in 2021. I always thought that the only propaganda or whatever they like, the only revolution I'm going to be take part of is like um, gender equality. <laughs> and since our country is like full of culture and tradition, they they don't they don't like um uh they don't like you know like gender equality is a new topic to them i thought i i was gonna fight about gender equality no i am now fighting back about basic basic human rights and justice this is such i feel angry just by thinking that sorry and yeah if you if you know what i mean yeah, yeah, and I want to go back and do a couple parts of your story that you mentioned from the outset and flesh out a few details that people not following the situation may not know so much about. So one thing was that you had mentioned your group finding refuge inside a home of strangers who sheltered you for some hours 
while the soldiers were harassing and threatening you outside and that uh, you were able to stay hidden and safe there. And of course, this is something that's happening throughout the protests is this kindness of strangers who people who are not going on the protests, but see protesters running for safety and open their doors. And this has been a greater and greater risk on the part of those people providing shelter. I had a friend whose family in Yangon was not going out into the streets, but when the protesters started running, they opened their doors, they sheltered them. The police saw where they came. The police went into their home. They uh, started breaking things, they stole things, and they shot three of her siblings. Uh, one of them died, one of them was hospitalized, and one of them was injured. These people didn't even go out on the streets. They were just in their homes. To make matters even worse, they then charged because they needed they needed to have some kind of false reason of why they terrorized and actually killed innocent people who were not even leaving their homes. They had to come up with a fake charge that... Uh, some of the family members in this apartment were actually attacking the police, which of course wasn't true. So then several of the family members had to go into hiding. And actually one of the ones who was shot uh, and recovering was charged with attacking police officers. So these people that are providing shelter to you are doing so at enormous risk themselves. And the security forces have begun targeting those providing shelter to try to expose the protesters and keep them on the street. So, you know, it was the, the kindness uh, and the courage of these, um, these strangers who sheltered you that, uh, that was really a highlight in your story. And these people are increasingly coming under danger and risk. And another part of the story is you talk about the abductions and that you were almost abducted because you were not able to run due to your health condition and that 100 people were abducted that day. And as we've learned more and more about these abductions, especially abductions of young women, we're finding terrible stories of beatings, of sexual violence, of rape, of uh, even sexual threats before the arrests happened. There have been reports in this last week of police officers actually targeting different young women on social media that they're following and they're they're threatening that they're looking forward to arrest so that they can sexually abuse once they're in prisons and of course the tamada has a terrible terrible history of sexual violence against women and so these abductions are not just detentions in a prison which is bad enough but they carry with it the threat of sexual violence by male military officers and soldiers and so um you know, these things combined, they bring your story even into more terrifying heights that when you think about both the risk of abduction and the risk of those that were sheltering you, this is really a terrifying story from all different angles you look at it. Yeah. Um, okay. Firstly, you know, the, the people who gave us shelter when we are in hiding, they were just I am really grateful for them because at, at that time, you know, the informants from military, they pretend as have been, they, they pretend like they, they have the protester who ran and hide. And then 
if if they were informants, you know, everyone who were hiding in that house would be um, would be arrested. But they are not informants, fortunately, and then they are just um, great people with, uh, as you said, courage. Uh, with great courage, they they really have that. And plus, they have like a young young kid. I mean, he was he's like about. I think one or two years. He was crying because he was like so shocked. Everywhere, like strangers keep coming into his house, and they just he just like、uh, look at us, and then you know the loud noises kept coming since since the military or、uh, like the hunter keep、um, shooting and dispersing with、uh, tear gas. So it was、uh, it was chaotic situation and. You know, a household with such a young children, like is with such a young kid, they decide to yet they decide to help us. You know, regardless of their safety, that was that was really a heartwarming. So that that restore that restore my faith in humanity, <laughs> because we've been、um, encountering all those terrors from. Military and then those act of kindness really encourage us to, uh, to continue what we are doing. And secondly, about uh that sexual assault that is happening right now. In the cell, like in interrogation session, that that was such a great threat, and I am really sensitive about, um, sexual assault when it comes to sexual assault. I really cannot take it. Because we women are born with dignity, like everyone are born with dignity, and we must be protected. You know, just because we are women doesn't mean that we are weak, and we must be protected. We must be treated with like equally and respected. And the military they really using using as a targeting the young women, and they uh they really look down on us. They like this is not your job to protect. This is not your job to go out and disobey us, right?、Uh, they have that. They have that mindset in their, I think, in in their unconscious mind or whatever. So they trying to um they trying to prove us that we we are powerless, right? They trying to um uh it is another subject, but um. It's such a, it comes with package. <laughs> our, it's like our danger is come with package. They trying to like dehumanize us. They trying to assault us. So, this is such a terrible story. And and yeah, I I feel I feel really. I was upset when I first heard that you you mentioned.、Uh, she was, she was being sexually assaulted by. The police officers. He he even kicked in the janitor. So it's shocking, you know. Too many shocking things happening to us. So, but this is this is one of the worst thing I've heard, and I I can I can like I can even think of like picture of myself being tortured like that. I rather die being tortured by those inhumane terrorists. Oh. So, Yeah, this is this is very horrendous.
Mm, so then after this day, February 28th, where 18 were killed, 100 were abducted, you had to escape in this terrifying situation. And you mentioned how when you went out, it was just a normal day for you. It was in the morning. You were These were streets that you were quite familiar with. This is your your neighborhood, your town, your community. And you never in a million years would have thought that something like this would have happened. It was a complete shock to have to adjust and accept the reality of this terror state and the dangers and the risks. And I imagine a day like that was something that allowed you to better, you know, understand and accept the reality of how, uh, of this terror and of what was happening. So after this day, uh, how did this change you? Did it change your relationship to the protest? Did it change your relationship to what you did, the decisions you were making, uh, how you were going to engage in the protest movement? Uh, how did it affect you? And what did you end up doing after this day in terms of how you engaged? Okay, yeah, let, let me take take you back to our first day of uh, protest because uh, since the protest day, you know, like since the coup happened, we, we were like walking on our, like we were finding out, we were figuring out what we could do uh, about the coup and about to get back our democracy and justice. So protest was the like effective way because it, it represents our voice, right? It just uh, encourage everyone that, they cannot win. We are all we got. So, like, protest is such a strong movement to us. So, I've been participating in the protest since, um, I think, February 3 or 4, because uh, everyone, nobody went out to protest. Because everyone has has to take time to figure out what was happening. Like, what is even the coup now? Like, what is this, right? So, I think... Um, Protested, protest, uh, they got started around three or February, three or four. So since then, I've been uh, actively participating and going outside, uh, marching or things like that, everything. Everything I, I could do about the protest, I even donated, um, like buying, donating foods or things like that. On tw- uh, February 28, you know, that, that happened and I, I just realized that, okay, I cannot run and I cannot be abducted, obviously. And if I, I am on out, outside, it is like it has more chance to get abducted. And I'm not being egocentric, you know. I'm just like calculating what I can actually do, what I like, what my capability would be more effective uh, so i decided to just stay at home and then by staying at home i i just like um, find connections to uh, to the protest group and i like if i can support the financial uh, if i can give them financial support or things like that and then uh, have the like awareness awareness of like what what is really happening with us and you know what shocked me is that um on that day we we cannot use our phone i mean like the internet we can access the internet on the streets because wi-fi is the only internet asset we can get so mobile data were not available so we didn't know what was happening right 
what was happening and then when I just got back home and then I said to my internet and I saw the news of deceased people and that was really that was more shocking than burning and hiding so I did so it just like it it encourages me to to bring out every best thing in me you know not just about protesting I I need to update my strategy <laughs> so uh, realizing that they are now killing, not just like, um, not just threatening us. They are actually killing us. That that was what encouraged me to <clears throat> bring every best thing in me. Like, don't just sit at home. Like, don't just sit. Don't just sit. Don't just go out. What you can do, and just keep asking what you can do. What you can do. You know, like I, I really want to be helpful to to end this coup so i i think and then i i you know like and i, I discuss with my friends and then we do <clears throat> we figure out what we really can do like not just about protesting i like supporting or things like that yeah donation supporting and then uh, joining with uh, campaigns and projects so yeah, I I am gonna I I decided that I'm gonna use every power I have to end that. Yes. Right. Well, certainly there's the expression that desperation breeds innovation, and also the reality that we don't really know what we're made of or who we are until we're tested, and the situation gets quite challenging and uncomfortable and then we learn who we are and how we respond to it i think those are things that we're certainly seeing today that many people that thought they would never be living in a society and a terror like this once they realize and accept that they truly are then the question comes what do i do with it how do i respond what resources do i have and we're certainly seeing across the country people that were living very normal lives just a few months ago are now thrust fully into a new kind of existence, a new kind of role. And even though those outside of the country are not in that kind of mortal danger or terror, many have also responded similarly of looking at who they are and what resources they can bring to bear in ways that none of us ever thought would have been a reality before. So after February 28th, in your situation, you mentioned how you came to the assessment that really you would be more of an asset inside than outside, which I, you know, to me sounds like a very smart and reasonable consideration. And you have been staying inside, but doing a lot of mobilization and activity and support. So can you share a bit about after February 28th, when you realized you couldn't go on the streets anymore, uh, what did you start to engage in? How did you start to help? What activities were you involved in from this point uh, until now? Yeah, okay. It it might sound funny, but I start to like read a lot more because I need to know what what we are facing with, right? I need to learn more about the coup, more about resistance, more about fighting. So I start to like do my research on revolutions <laughs> i read about student revolutions like ev everything that will make me 
um, be a true revolutionary. You know,、uh, during the whole month of February, I was like,、um, like I was doing what I can, going out protest or things like that. That that was emotional roller coaster, but after February twenty eight, I just accept it, accept myself that I just label myself that okay, I am a revolutionary. You go girl, you must do things. So first, uh, the the first step of being a revolutionary is that you must get educated about that, right? So you must um to make your moves effective. You you need to know. Your power, and you need to know that that what what your enemy will do, right? You have to be good at with strategies or things like that. So after that, I start to research and do everything, right? I I read a lot, and then I found out that I I even read I I think I.、Uh, Jane Shaw's Detect- from Detective to Democracy, you know that book, and then I found out that there are a lot of non-violent things that we can do, and I I realized that you know civil disobedience move movement that is the key, that is the by key I mean that is like the most possible way to to end this coup. So I, I was like, okay, I must help with those who are participating in civil disobedience movement. We must help them both physically and mentally because, uh, you know that our country is in great economic risk, and most people are not in good financial state. Like we we don't include me. So, okay, so donations are needed. So I just like start to、um, fundraising. Like I just start to come up with my fundraising ideas, and yeah, I I have a lot of ideas about.、Um, I have a lot of ideas, but if I think I can,、um, you know, I can perform that idea, I just go and ask for those who. Who actually can do that idea? So, yeah, about connection,、uh, I I try to make a strong network. You know, I observe who are really like um who who has good intention. I it may sound weird, but after February twenty eight, and it was a bloodshed day of in Yangon, and some people stop doing like some people stop um. Taking part in revolution,、uh, it's not their fault. I don't. I don't think that、uh, they are afraid because you know it needs to take time and things to to realize to realize what we are like. I. I mean, we all have like about that incident, <clears throat> about that February twenty eighth incident. We came. We came up with different solution and different defense mechanism. So yeah, to me, I didn't, I didn't take a rest. I just、uh, educate myself, and then I'm, I'm trying to support the CDM, and then of of, of course, protests are still in need to go strong. So I, I, I was highly aware that the safety and the the security of the front line, like defense, 
defense team, frontliners who take part in that protest, we must make sure that they are safe, right? So, I I was mainly being active in in donations to CDM participant in in and the the safety of the protester. Yeah. So you mentioned that you started to become interested in educating yourself and learning about revolutions and studying about insurrections in other countries as a way to learn about what was happening in real time in your country. So can you share a bit about what you read and what you learned from it? What insight you gained from some of those books that you started to go through? Okay, so the thing about uh, our country is that the um the major social platform we use here in Burma, in Myanmar, is a Facebook. You know, so since since we won, there are a lot of people who are sharing their ideas and their thoughts on the coup. Some even say that this is gonna end soon, and some even say that okay, <laughs> this might sound funny, but the United Nations and the United States of America are gonna save us soon. So you don't have to do anything, just stay at home and wait for the help. Do you know what I mean, right? So a lot of a lot of people came up with those and maybe they are informers or things like that. I don't know. Like they share their thoughts, opinion, which only led to false hopes, right? And false hope only led to underestimating our capabilities. That's what I start to realize. So everyone, including my mom, <laughs> she's so caught up in false hope. And she even like uh, start to tell me, honey, you don't do that anymore. Like this is gonna end soon, right? So just relax and we are gonna be all right. We don't have to worry, just stay at home. No. <laughs> No, mom, this is not the right answer. So educating yourself is such an important thing to do. So, and I found uh, about about what, about the books I read, I, I learned about non-violence uh, resistance, and then I watched many YouTube videos of, um, you know, Hong Kong protester and other things. And then... I realized that dictators, they will only respond to force. That's, that's what I, that's what I greatly learned, <laughs> to be honest. Because people, people really like underestimate the power of dictators. You know, they think that this could end very soon or this could end without, um, without bloodshed <laughs> but you know as um more than 700 people got reportedly killed till now as of today more than 700 people but by that uh, february or march time no one will believe if you tell them that that amount of people well that amount of people were got killed. So, but you know, to me, I I prepare for that. So, and I a part of me know that there, there there will be a time that we all must unite together 
and then there is no such thing as outside help. I mean, we are the only ones we got. It is if um, you know we we are the only like who is gonna end this with our own hand. You know what I mean. Everyone must involved. We cannot just sit down and accept those UN, US, or R two P. They are, they are not gonna be helpful to us. So yeah. <laughs> Um, and one more great thing I learned: some you like you can't statements are nothing. I don't want to say this, but state statements will just be paper to dictators. Yeah, that's that's the key point, and that's that's what I've been telling uh, myself every day: stay strong, be prepared, anything can happen. So, be prepared to do anything. Yeah. Right, and I think that comment about statements not really being helpful at this time is a very accurate one. I think that's true not only regards to institutions and countries and diplomats, but also in terms of those of us outside who are caring about what's happening. Is it's very easy for many of us outside to say that we're worried or concerned, but okay great, be worried, be concerned, then what? Then how is that going to translate into some kind of helpful action? But I want to go back to some of the things that you shared just now. You know, you talked about up to this point, and I should mention that we're recording this on April 24th. It'll be sometime before it's released. At the time we're recording, there's over 700 deaths. At the time that it's released, we don't know how high that number will go. And these are 700 lives that we're just like anyone anywhere else around the world that had their hopes, their dreams, their problems, their struggles, their challenges, their own journey that they were on that in 700 cases were cut short for absolutely no reason for something that was completely unforeseeable and unexpected before February 1st. And these lives, the backbone and the energy of the younger generation of Myanmar, which was propelling it into the future, are just being crushed and eaten away from something that had been so promising these last 10 years. And as you mentioned, this is a sign of a brutal dictatorship that does not respond to statements and that only responds to force. And in your studies of dictators and revolutions elsewhere, this is a consistency and a commonality that you find among uh, coups and dictators elsewhere, that this is a mentality that is not tied to culture or time or space, but is a function of being a, dicta being a dictator and proceeding with an illegal coup. Yet on the other hand, on, I should mention, on one hand, we have this kind of violence, this force, this might is right. And on the other hand, you had referenced your interest in seeing how resistance could be nonviolent, how many forms of nonviolent resistance there really was, and how this could be applied through CDM and through other kinds of methods to be effective and to shut down and to show protest, to not rely on outsiders to come and save you and to just sit back and wait for that to happen, but to actually be active and independent yourself. And so where are you now on this question of violence, nonviolence, that this is something that I know everyone every day there is 
thinking through and trying to understand and get a grips on. But on one hand, you have these dictators, both historically and from what you've researched, as well as the particular dictator in your case, in your country, where they do hold on by force and violence of any means. And on the other hand, you, as humans everywhere, we, you know, humans, uh, for the most part, have an aversion to wanting to commit violence or see or condone violence, even to those that we don't like. It's in our DNA and in our nature to not want to cause harm. And you referenced just now your own commitment to wanting to look for nonviolent ways. So when you look at that balance of the the nonviolent struggle versus the, uh, the 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 open violence being condoned on the part of the military, where do you stand on trying to understand how to go forward? Okay, yeah. Um, you mentioned about that seven hundred uh, that casualty, and I I want to add that that you know what makes me so mad about this coup is that. Seven hundred lives, you know. We are not born with two lives, and people like around me keep saying that uh, post-revolution we are gonna have a bright future. After the victory of this revolution, uh, everyone will like respect us for for this revolution. Okay, it is a bright side, but that will never cope. That will never bring back those lives. Everyone. <laughs> This is so unfair, and this is really, really upset me. And that's that's why we just keep calling for acts because the clock is ticking, and we are losing lives. About the economic, you can you can get you can trying to get better at your economy. Like everything can can be trying again, but life we don't we don't have. Backup plans, and you know, bullets don't o- only take the bad. It only leave it. It. Ah, I'm sorry. I I'm upset. Yeah, and can you can you imagine about the rest of their families? How how would they be? Even like this this victory will will just will not make them completely happy. They will remember their. Like their sons, their fathers, their partners. It's as you you will never hear them, victory or not. It will never hear. It will never take back those lives. So please act best. That that that's what I I've been thinking. And another thing that that is really upsetting is that we really cared about international communities. You know, since the first day of the coup, those most people say that don't go out protest. Because it is in the middle of pandemic. If you go out protest, it will like um, it will do something about like people. People will say like you will only create bad image because of the COVID, right? So you are not uh, following the health protocols. So we listen to them. We listen to the like we trying so hard not to be a bad image to international communities. But what do we get instead? Nothing. I mean, it is not like it's no offense or something like that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doing shades or here, but I'm just like facing the reality. <laughs> so, yeah, and that that was where we got wrong. I think personally, I think that since the first day, we trying so hard to be peaceful. <laughs> 
we're trying to be a peaceful protector. We only just we don't even like <laughs> we even negotiate with those um those security forces. We even can't say that um you are the like in Burmese it says the two year left you two year. It means that what police are for? The police are for people. That is such a joke now. Because we tried so hard to look peaceful, and that leads us to nothing. That just like the hunter only underestimates us, and it just like press us more. So about the violence or non-violence, now no one has any right to judge our protesting style, our resistance style. It could be violence, it could be non-violence, but you know. We are just resisting. So, CDM is non-violence movement, and other things, whatever we are doing, like to defend ourselves, it is just a resistance. It will remain a resistance. No one has, and like, okay, I might sound, I might sound harsh, but I'm just like bringing you the reality of it right now. Most youth be the same. But you know we don't even have anything. We don't even have a gun. So if if that's what you're asking, we have nothing. We just have a faith and a brain. That's all we have. So everything we do, it will remain as non-violent resistance. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry if I sound harsh. I'm really emotional right now. Yeah, I hope you guys can understand. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that that's a very good point, and one I've also been telling people is that no one that is outside the country right now has any right whatsoever to be giving any kind of thoughts or theories on what people faced with this kind of life or death situation should be doing. We're just we're not in that situation. We're not in that terror. We're not at that mortal risk, and. So when you're not faced with it, there, there's really very little that you can say in terms of what others should do. And, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of people in the country, and some of those people are coming from very devout Buddhist and Dhammic backgrounds of being very serious meditators, of following the precepts very carefully, their entire life of not transgressing and not causing any harm. And even these people are faced with certain kinds of decisions that they never in a million years they thought would be faced with given the terror of what's going on. And so I think for those of us outside, the best we can do is to listen and to understand and to ask questions and to recognize that not being in that situation, there's a limit to what we can't understand and how we, we are able to advise and God hope that in our lives, we never have to face such terrifying decisions to have to make. But because our friends are making those decisions, what position can we be in to help them understand and make better decisions? But those are not ours to make. Those are not ours to advise. I, I think that's something that many should understand. And I think even though you, you reference that many of the people don't have the kind of resources or training compared to the aggressor that you're against. I'm sure that in some of the readings that you've done, you've read about insurrections with seemingly insurmountable odds where on the people's side, they had very little, they had very little preparation, very little materials, very little of anything, but 
the people do have one thing and that's the numbers. And if desperation truly does breed innovation, then there are ways to use things in one's community and local resources that are not readily apparent and that uh, can tip the scales and can make a difference. And those aren't, I'm not speaking theoretically, I'm speaking historically. I'm speaking about, you know, Afghanistan or Vietnam or any number of other places where a much fiercer and more um, experienced aggressor has not been successful because the people on their land have been able to resist in ways that ultimately thwarted the ability of the aggressor's plans. And I think that's what's happening now. And I think that in order to do this successfully, so much comes from a couple of points you've mentioned. One, actually, these points are connected, you know, accepting the reality of the situation that you're in, accepting the terror state. It's very ironic that this kind of accepting the reality that manifests is actually kind of a Dhamma lesson. It's actually kind of something that a meditator on a course or in a cave works to do to accept the reality that's manifesting. That's also the same task of uh, a battlefield strategist is accepting what the conditions are, not what you want them to be, or not engaging in magical thinking, as you mentioned that some are, that someone somewhere will come and save you. Why? Why will they do that? Why will they risk their own lives and capital for coming to a place where they don't live? And so I think as terrible as it is and as frustrating and, and, um, and, and awful as it must be, the more that one can accept the real conditions that are there and the real possibilities of who will help and how they will help and how they won't, the more that can ground the mind in not engaging in revulsion or aversion or shock or horror. Okay, there's a time for that. And definitely when you're having to run away from police on February 28th, that's definitely the time to be engaging in that kind of shock and surprise and horror. But then there also comes a time to realize, okay, this is how things are. And being shocked and appalled and terrified only takes me so far. There has to be some kind of transition where you start to see, yes, this is the reality I'm living in. What do I do? How do I deal with it? What are my options? How can I respond? And it seems like that's the phase that you and many in your generation and others are now in is having a deeper acceptance and understanding of that reality and trying to see what resources do you have in being able to respond to it. Yeah. Um, well, thank, first of all, thank you for like rearranging my work because I'm not very good at English. So, but you know, you like kind of rearranging my statements. Thank you so much. This is very helpful. And yeah, um, you know, we only have intelligence because we, um, it is very hard to realize, like to accept it. First, I accept the terrors uh, is happening to us. And then the other thing I find it hard to accept is that anything can happen to me, like at any time, because that's, that's how those terrorists become so far. You know, now I'm talking to you, but if a soldier, like one or two soldiers, like come raided in our streets, they can just easily break through my house and then they can take my laptop or they can just take me to say like those things can happen because before like I'm talking to you I just read the news that they are abducting I just like 
it is it is such a regular thing to me now like to us now to the whole country so what resources do we have nothing <laughs> because no one is prepared for that right we don't have okay let me get you straight they shot us with gun and we can shot them with and nothing so the only powerful weapon and resource we have is our mind you know they are armed with guns and we are armed with mind we are very determined and we have visions and we like we have that fate in ourselves in our heart so everyone's just like we we are like kind of using our soft power and so i i believe that we are going to win but it it takes time it would take time like it's just um we are going to win sooner or later that i mean it's a matter of time but yeah so um we have we have our hearts we have our people and we have our justice so that's the only resources we have yeah so i also want to ask about another initiative that you're involved with you've mentioned some of the things that you're engaged with and you're also trying to assist with those that don't have wi-fi and of course communication is really an issue right now both communication within the country and outside the country as well. So can you discuss a bit about what is going on with the communications infrastructure at the moment in Myanmar? What challenges are being faced? What threats and concerns are there for what could happen in the future? And what precautions you're taking and how you're trying to help people to stay connected now as well as if things get worse in the future? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, doing this dire time it is really important to for us to stay connected because uh, as as i said we are all we got so we we must make sure that we are connected so to us you know internet is the only communication like not not the only communication but it, it was like majority of uh communication style we had right so without the internet that was really frustrating i i was like okay if we don't, if I don't have internet, what 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 are we going to do? How we connect with uh, my friends and it lack of information. Uh, I mean, the gender, uh, the hunter agenda, whatever you call. It is, uh, you know, they are in favor if there is no internet. Like you can upload the evidence fine, right? So. Um, I never like I never prepared for um, disconnect with internet in my life. So, but you know, on on the first day of coup, they just cut off everything, both internet and both, even I think cell phone line. So, I thought okay, there would come a time that we must uh, figure out what we can do. So, okay, um, in my like reading about the revolutions it it happened before the time of internet so we can we can work that out like you know um printing the journals and then you just like it you can go back to old style right as long as you 
you made up your mind. As long as you you have that will, we'll just figure figure those way out. And before the coup,、uh, before that, um, going back to old times, I I called to my friends who is like in who cannot access to Wi-Fi data. My friends and my relatives, I I told them、uh, about the news. Uh, what should we do? Like everyone is waiting for, I I think、um, sign. If、um, how do you call it? Like everything is connected. It's just like you need to know that something is happening somewhere.、Um, if you know what I mean. I mean, I, like I am in Yangon, but you know I want to go out to protest, but I don't know what is happening in the next township. If I know that if something is happening in the township, I can go out and join them. So everyone is waiting to join in.、Uh, that's my point. So to join in, you need to know the information. So yeah,、um, I like me and my other friends are trying to not trying to like we are now working on that、um, on that like spreading the informations every in every way we can. Like, but you know, for sake of our security, I don't want to. <laughs> Uh, tell it about detail, but yeah,、uh, not just me and my friend. Like every youth is、um, struggling with that. Not struggling, they are just like we all are working on that because we know the importance of、um, solidarity and yeah, things like that. Yeah, sure, and we definitely don't want to expose anything that you're doing in terms of. The communications or strategies. I think it's enough just to know that you are thinking about it, and it is something that you're engaged with, and、uh, both in terms of what's happening now and what could happen in the future, and just looking at how to keep that safe and secure. So, on another topic of safety and security, and some of the work you're doing, I know that you're also engaged with helping and supporting those civil servants that are not going to the office, a part as a part of civil disobedience movement or CDM. I think you're quite connected, not just with giving donation, and giving donation is very important. We should mention, and we do have a way to receive donations through our platforms. You can, for those listeners, you can give and specify that you want your specific donation to go to. Want after listening to this, and those donations are the lifeline. However, there's so much more involved after just that financial transaction、uh, that is、uh, is able to keep them away from the office. It's also a personal engagement with knowing the difficulties and the stories and the dangers and everything else that these people are under, and that's something that you're intrinsically involved with. With You are connected to many people that are in the CDM movement with their, their their stories and their struggles and their safety. And so, I wonder if you could share a bit about some of those people, what they're going through, how you're supporting them, what kind of challenges they're under, so that listeners can have a bit stronger understanding of what the human struggle and the human side of this is. Yeah,、um, thank you for this question. You know, I okay as like. In the earlier part, I I mentioned that、uh, civil disobedience movement is like obviously、uh, played the key role in fighting those dictators because the main purpose of dictator is ruling us, and if no one is obeying them, they can rule us. So 
if there is no uh, government stuff, right? So uh, that I mean, it is very important that um, that's the government stuffs, not just the government, like private staff workers, like they 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 see the um, their civil disobedience move, movement would um, we we must make sure that CDMS goes wrong. <laughs> That's my point. So yeah, but you know it is very like challenging for them to resist that movement. I mean to take part in that movement because they are uh, the military is targeting them, including the doctors. That is really like terrifying. The doubters and teachers, like two of my aunts, uh, they are teachers, and they have to, they have to relocate things favorite one because, um, you know, uh, if you know about the process of the election, uh, teachers are teachers play, take part in the election process. Like, uh, if you know that, so. Yeah, so she has to. She and my other aunt, uh, both both are like on the rant, because, um, for the military, the the people who are involved in CDM is such a great threat to them. They want to rule as they want to. Um, they want to show the international community that they can rule us over. The state is stable. Everyone is like get back to their work. So uh, CDMRs are really in great threat. They are safety. It's like even even like in life life threatening situation for them. And and you know the other like okay the other thing is that today uh today is uh I think uh twenty fourth April right and if you know that Mailheim go and attend the ASEAN summit, the important thing is that he is a criminal and he is walking out free. And our our people who are taking part in those CDMs, like those CDM movement, they have they have to hide. Like if you know what I mean. How how could that happen, right? This is really upsetting. Those criminals like walking out free and being even welcomed by those ASEAN leaders and my people, like our people, they have to run and they have they are being treated like as criminal. Such a ridiculous thing to say. Even I don't even want to talk about it. So yeah, not just about the financial thing. Those people who are participated in CDM, they really need a mental support and um, like they are standing in justice, but if justice don't stand with them, it might be really, I'm not sure that it is not their like, fault anymore if they, even if they decide not to join in that CDM anymore, because uh, from the start, they're trying to do the right thing and then for doing the right thing, they are in the life-threatening situation. And if no one is with them, it, it is really hard for them to, to stay like that.
and I, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. So you're really highlighting the physical safety of the civil servants, just again, just lead, leading normal lives, nothing special. And now their safety and their family safety is at risk just for trying to do the right thing. And they're in this impossible situation. Of course, in Myanmar today, no one is safe. They talk about safe houses, but even the people that I've spoken to overseeing safe houses mentioned that there, there is no such thing as a safe house because uh, even staying in your home could get you shot or abducted or detained or beaten or something else. So there, there really is a lack of safety everywhere, but certainly there is a higher degree of risk for those civil servants in the CDM movement. And there also is less safety for those people who are detained, of course, those people who are in prison, as we mentioned before, as well as those protesters on the front lines that are actually physically, literally facing off with those security forces. So what can you say about the lack of safety that is found to a much higher degree in those groups specifically? Yeah, yeah. Like, as you said, no one is safe right here in our country. Like, that is only two situations. If you are in great travel or you are in greater travel, <laughs> you know, that's it. So um, we are in trouble, but those people who are in greater trouble is that CDM participants and then the uh, students and the other people who is detained, who are detained in the prison. Because, you know, from the, from the start, they are, not, they are not arrested. They are abducted and with unlawfully. Like laws are happening with them, but I, I hate to say it, but it isn't, it's not that, that much in use. I mean, I am very grateful for lawyers and they are trying everything they, they can. But, you know, the terrorists, they, they just abducted the, those people. Like, if you are walking down the street and they don't like you, they will just take you there and they will beat you up and then they will put you in the prison. It's like, it's really shocking and about and we heard that even like sexual assault happening in the cells and if you are the participant of protester or if they find any evidence that you took part in the protest or any like um like me donation process like those things you know whatever you do whatever you did against them they will torture you to death and in in their threat, they even say that we can just kill you and <clears throat> we'll make it unknown. Because, of course, you know, in the prison, you cannot cover any news. You cannot know the truth, right? So this is really concerning, like, very highest degree. And I really hope that um, international communities or whatever, they can, whoever in charge or whoever in power of, like, to pressure that mainline to release all the detainees because you know some of them are even like 15 or 16 I heard that I'm really like this is really unpleasant to hear that and their safety is at really highest risk and it's like <laughs> you know parents especially parents they, they are really worried about their 
children help and if you got abducted you cannot you lost all the power it's like being in the prison is it's like you just existing you can't do anything that that's really stressing and the post trauma uh, like traumatic condition it, it will hang you down your whole life the torture because you know like from from the beginning of this podcast we just highlighted that, that we are the generation who never prepared for those kind of terror right no one is prepared for that even if we like we only have one month to prepare our mind right so if we got abducted if we got arrested and if we got like tortured by those inhumane terrorists that that is really shocking and nothing is granted in there you know they can they could easily kill us and so yeah please um take um pay attention to those who are detained unlawfully they need to release immediately their life matter like uh, yeah just please make sure that i i i i call out is that call out is the right word or not i mean I want everyone to pay attention to those who are detained because prison is not safe. They they are inhuman. They were just torture as to that. So yeah, please. Right, those are good and really terrifying points and even even the language sometimes to me is problematic because it doesn't accurately reflect what people are going through. We call it prison, we call it police, we call it detaining, but this all implies some kind of legal order and procedure. And of course, there's none of that now. There's no sense of following any kind of uh, judicial protocol or anything else. And, you know, it's not just those 700 uh, dead up to this point. It's also all the family members who have suffered from losing someone. It's the people who've been harmed uh, mentally or physically. It's the people that are in prison that we don't know what is happening to them how many will survive and those that survive what they'll carry with them for the rest of their life and what their families and loved ones will carry because they went through so the the human toll of this uh senselessness is just continues to being um you know trying having us trying to understand uh some sense of the toll that this is taking just in general uh, I'm aware that you only have a few more minutes of connectivity. Of course, every day the internet is shut off promptly at one in the morning and we're coming up on one in the morning now. So we're running up against the very end of our time with you, with your internet being shut off. But I really thank you for being able to stay up late to connect with us and share. And I know even just the fact of sharing, it brings its own kind of trauma and difficulty in doing so. And and I hope that it will be really of great value to listeners there and being able to have a more detailed and in-depth understanding of how things are there. So, you know, you have all of our support and our thoughts and good wishes and we'll stay in touch. And we just wish your work to be successful and you personally to be safe, as safe as can be in these circumstances. Uh, physically as well as mentally and our best wishes with you and thanks so much for taking the time to come on and share with us thank you so much for having me yeah i am really glad that to speak on my voice and thank you thank you for your support
that this means a lot to us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. I understand that this is an enormously difficult time for many people these days, myself included. And just the mere fact of staying informed is helping to keep a focus on this pertinent issue. And the only way that we can do our job of continuing to provide this content at this very critical time is through the support of generous donors, listeners like yourselves. So if you found this episode of value and would like to see more shows like this on the current crisis, please consider making a donation to support our efforts. Either monthly pledges or one-time donations are fully appreciated, and all funds go immediately into the production of more episodes like this one. Thank you deeply in advance, and best wishes at this time. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are resisting the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Every cent goes immediately and directly to funding those local communities who need it most. Donations go to support such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, families of deceased victims, and the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies. Or if you prefer, you can earmark your donation to go directly to the guest you just heard on today's show. In order to facilitate this donation work, we have registered a new nonprofit called Better Burma for this express purpose. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is now directed to this fund. Alternatively, you can visit our new Better Burma website, which is betterburmaoneword.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause, and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at In all cases, that's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration. You've been listening to the Insight Myanmar podcast. We'd appreciate it very much if you could rate, review, and or share this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. You can also subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. If you can't find our feed on your podcast player, please just let us know and we'll ensure it can be offered there in the future. Also, make sure to check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information available at insightmyanmar.org. And I also invite you to take a look at our new nonprofit organization at betterburma.org. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. Make a post, request specific questions, and join in on discussions currently going on on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. 
You're also most welcome to follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the same name. If you're not on social media, feel free to message us directly at info at insightmyanmar.org. Or if you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know and we can share that form here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Currently, our team consists of two sound engineers, Mike Bink and Martin Combs. There's, of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing. And a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. In light of the ongoing crisis in Myanmar, a number of volunteers have stepped in to lend a hand as well. And so we'd like to take this time to appreciate their effort in our time of need. And we're always on the lookout for more volunteers during this critical time. So if you'd like to contribute, definitely let us know. We'd also like to thank everyone who has assisted us in arranging for the guests we've interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come on and share such personal, powerful stories. Finally, we're immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We want to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note that as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, there's a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner, which includes video, audio, written transcripts, or excerpts of any episodes. Also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we're very open to collaboration. So if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. If you would like to support our mission, we welcome your contribution. During this time of crisis, all donations now go towards supporting the protest movement in Myanmar through our new nonprofit, Better Burma. You may give by searching Better Burma on PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe, and Patreon, as well as via credit card at betterburma.org donation. You can also give right on our Insight Myanmar website, as all donations given there are directed towards the same fund. And with that, we're off to work on the next show, so see you next episode.